0: We are live, welcome, welcome, welcome to everyone joining us on Zoom, on Facebook Live, and on Drisha Live for the first session in a three-part class entitled What Stops the Plague with Ms. Miriam Gedweiser. So I know that plenty of you have studied with Miriam before, excuse me, one moment. Um, Studied with her in one case, birthed. Yeah. Um, But uh, I will ask to be indulged to uh, give a little introduction anyhow. So Miriam Gedweiser is a faculty member at Drisha and teaches Talmud and Tanakh at the Ramaz Upper School. She has a BA in the history, philosophy, and social studies of science and medicine from the University of Chicago and a JD from NYU School of Law. Miriam studied at Midrashit Lindenbaum and in the Drisha scholars circle. She previously practiced commercial litigation at a large law firm and clerked for the Honorable Deborah Freeman. I don't know what USMJ means, I'm sorry. Um, judge. Okay, a judge in Manhattan. Um, <laughs> Miriam serves as a guest lecturer at synagogues and programs around the Northeast and has written on topics of Jewish and Torah interest for the Lairhouse, the Forward, the Center for Modern Torah Leadership blog, and Project 929. Miriam lives in Teaneck, New Jersey with her family. And this class, by way of introduction, plague is one of God's preferred forms of collective punishment in the Bible. Just as plagues often start in reaction to human misdeeds, they can often be stopped by human action as well. What stops a plague? How can individual actions, even extreme ones, change the balance of the public's guilt in God's eyes? To answer these questions, we will examine depictions of plague and how it can end through the lens of rabbinic texts, including the story of Rabbi Akiva's students and the abrupt cessation of their plague-related deaths. So I know we're all very excited. That's why we're here. And I'd just like to remind those of us on Zoom, uh, if you can have your camera on to give a little classroom vibe, that's very nice. But Please stay muted unless we're having a discussion period. And if you don't feel comfortable using your microphone during discussion period, just pop your questions and comments in the chat and we will make sure that we take a look at them. Uh, If you're joining us on Facebook Live, you are also free to leave questions and comments in the comment section there and I will bring them over here unless you want to bring yourself over here and join the party on Zoom. Uh, But Otherwise, let's get started. Great.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Um, thanks for joining. So I hear the description, and I, I'm going to make the the first confession, which is I um, I didn't exactly do what I said I was going to do. So I hope you'll forgive me. Um. So I, the the idea for this course, sorry, was in part, you know, I think, or the whole this whole theme of this session, Adrisha, was in part based on, um, you know, ideas of. You know, the, the plague of Rabbi Akiva students, obviously, like our own sort of plague time in 2021, but also um, this being a time when Jews have historically thought about plagues um, because of the sort of the, I don't know what to call it, the story we can call it of Rabbi Akiva students dying from plague during this time. Um, so that that sort of was the anchor. And today, since Lagba Omer is coming up um, this week, I felt like I would use the first session before Lagba Omer to talk about that story. And um, it's much less about what stops the plague than what starts the plague um, but maybe it also has some some little bit of an eye towards what prevents the plague or what sort of what's the opposite of that um, so with, i don't want to i don't want to get too much further do i i'm going to i know many of us may Um, have different levels of familiarity with the story of Rabbi Akiva and his students and they're dying during the plague. So I hope that there'll be something new for everyone, um, but I'm also gonna try and make sure we're all on the same page. Um, Great. So I'm gonna share my screen. That's gonna be, that will be the beginning. And here it is. Um, And I'll try and make it a little bigger. Did that work? No. There you go. Okay, so um, the story of Rabbi Kiva and his students, right? I'm just going to say at the outset, I'm like, totally. (laughs) There's lots of interesting questions about historicity of this, right? First of all, what really happened? Did something happen? What were the rabbis trying to talk about when they say what they're going to say? People know more about that than I do and are more interested in it. I'll mention just these things as they kind of come up, but that's, I'm looking, reading this as a story. That's what I do. Okay, so this is the passage from Yevamot. It really starts on the page before with the Mishnah and it's, the Argumara is from 62B. So the Mishnah is about, in Yevamot about um, whether a, a man can, what they call say, in, translate in English as neglect, right? Yavatel, piriya verivya, right? The, the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. Meaning, can he either, well, not marrying is maybe a separate thing, but can he marry a woman who's known not to be able to have children? for example, right, um, so so it says, the Mishnah says you can't do that, you the male subject of the Mishnah, right, right? unless he has sons, children, let's say children, because we're going to talk about which kind of children in a second, so say, unless you already have two sons, a boy and a girl, this is the source of like the famous halacha that you're supposed to have a boy and a girl, Right. Shenei mar zehar of our time. So Ben Hillel has a a um, to prove their point. I'm just using this to situate our story, right? Where the Gemara is going to talk about, like, well, is that really true? Should you really? Does it really not matter if you have more kids? If you already have kids, you do not try and have more. Um, and and again, we're like, this is sort of not really a contraception universe. I mean, they had contraception or things they thought were contraception, but like. This is about, right? Can you choose to marry somebody who's infertile, right? For example, or maybe to not get married at all. So the Gemara says, Manitin Dalav Rabbi our Mishnah, which says, once you know, two and done, um, doesn't follow the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua, who says in a bright, mer shabiel du to, Isai shabazik nu to, right? If a man marries a woman in his youth, he should marry a woman in his old age. Right? And seemingly relatedly, right? If he had children early, he should also have children later. as it says, Right, you should sow your seeds in the morning and don't um, give up in the evening. Because you never know which will work out better or maybe they're both good. Right. If it turns out, right, in basically three of those two of those three scenarios, you'll be glad you have the second group. Because if they're all good, that's great. If only the second group is good, then you're really lucky that you chose to have them, right? And the, if only the first group is good, well, at least you have them, um, right? Um, this gets sort of legalized, we could say, or halachified in contemporary halachic discourse about contraception and other things as like a, a mitzvah dirabanan of erev, right? Or there are other, there's sort of mitzvah, there's, I don't know if it's really, right there are other there are other mitzvot that are based on other psukim as well but right I, i'm not interested in that for this the purposes of this right but mishnah says once you have children maybe you're done rabbi yeshua says no 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 you should have you should try you know you, you never know what's going to come of your children of your youth and the children of your old age so you should have both um but the reason that's interesting to us is because now we have an opportunity for other rabbis to read the same pasuk um, and that's going to bring us to our story so Rabbi Akiva, May, L'amad to, to. Rabbi Akiva says, well, actually, it's not about having children when you're when you're old, right? Um, if you learn Torah in your youth, you should learn Torah in your old age, which is interesting because we know from other legends of Rabbi Akiva, which you could probably hear me reading in um, recordings on the Drusha website from this time last year, but... Um, <laughs> From other legends of Rabbi Kiva that he's, he's often said to have started to study very, very late in his life. So it's sort of interesting that he's saying whether you learn young, even if you learn young, you can sort of start, you can come back to learning, which is an interesting thing to say. Meaning, what does that mean that you should learn it again? Maybe he's talking specifically about Torah, right? He's saying you should come back to the sort of the, the beginner text with a new eye. Maybe he's saying you should make time to be a student in your old age and not just sort of be a teacher who's always on call or something. It's sort of an interesting claim, but his real claim seems to be the following. If you had students when you were young, You shouldn't be like, oh, I already have students. I can move on to other things. You should continue to teach students even as you get older. is It says, right? Sow your seeds in the morning and in the evening because you never know which is going to work out, right? And it seems like the story of Rabbi Akiva is going to show exactly that, right? You might think you've done great and you can stop teaching students, but actually sometimes that whole plan doesn't work out and you need plan B. Um, okay, so Amru, they said, um, who is the they is an interesting question, it seems like most people seem to think that this is quote unquote the Gemara talking, right? This is not a continuation of any sort of actual statement of Rabbi Akiva. It's going to be attributed to Rabbi Akiva in Kohelet rabbah which is a later text, but okay, right? Amrushnei masar zugim talmidim ha'yula the Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of students. People talk a lot about why we talk about them in pair as pairs. Why don't we just say 24,000? as we're going to see, another text might just have 12,000, but okay. Um, so he had these pairs of students, right? Antipatris. Oh, it's not spelled in English and Hebrew in the same way. Fine. So basically, you know, spanning this whole area of Judea, the chulan made to be pericachad, right? So they all died in one peric, one sort of like a chunk of time right because they did not treat each other with respect or they didn't sort of like behave with respect to each other um so okay um as i said right i'm just going to mention right there's a lot of people who like to talk about i I thought this was like a you know a modern historical thing it's actually apparently it comes up in like quasi-modern or slightly pre-modern texts also the idea that maybe some of these students were the um you know the Bar Kokhba fighters, let's say, and that Rabbi Akiva was sort of their supporter, and then when they all died, that was sort of the the crushing of that revolt. Um, but be that as it may, um, v'hayal right? And then the world was desolate. Ad Rabbi Akiva, etzel until Rabbi Akiva came to our rabbis in the south, right? The rabbis who become the rabbis of the Mishnah. It sounds like u'shina alahem, and he taught it over to them. Right, Rabbi Meir. Right, and I think that use of the word interesting, like the shanot is just the word in general for teaching. Right, teaching mishnah, teaching the, the teachings of the rabbis of this time period, the Tanayim. Right, you you, you show them, you repeat them over because people are learning them by heart. But it's also interesting because it's not just that he's repeating the Torah, which is how you teach Torah, but he's also repeating his whole process. Right, he's starting again with new students. Um, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Elazar. Right, so these are his people: Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Shimon, and Rabbi Elazar ben Shemua, who are, in some ways, right, some of the the major tanaim of our um, Mishnah. Right, Rabbi Shimon, by the way, is Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai. Um, we tend to forget that when we're learning Rabbi Shimon's halachic opinions that actually, like, he's sort of become extremely famous as this really intense mystical person. But okay. Um, And they're the ones who kind of were able to make the Torah, to uphold the Torah at that time, right? And here it seems almost like Rabbi Rabbi Akiva got lucky in a sense of like the first students died but he had enough time to do the second and his advice is kind of like, well, don't wait for it to fail, just like always be ready. Right? Don't well, here, there's a period where there's like all these students and they die and the world is desolate, but then we can start again. What well, you could have prevented that desolation almost by sort of like being prepared. Um, so this, is this is what the Gemara has to say about this plague, right? Well, it has one more little box of things to say about it. Right? So they, right, they all died from in one passage, right? Because they didn't treat each other with respect, right? Whether that's like some sort of a metaphor for the failings of the Berkeley revolt, I don't know, but, um, okay. So, we're going to spend a lot of time hopefully talking about what that means, and what it sort of, what it entails and what the, um, the antidote might be other than like being polite, which is sort of an easy way to think about it. Um, But let's just finish this thought, right? So Tana, again, this may or may not be an actual Brita, but presented as a Brita. They all died from from Passover to Shavuot, right? Um, And again, just like, as a historical anecdote, right? It seems like one of the reasons that the mourning period that we attribute to these students dying in the second century of the common era, right? Sort of caught on and is a thing we do is actually because the crusades happened in the same period, a thousand years later um, or less than a thousand years later, I guess. But anyway, so they all died from Passover to Shavuot in this time period. of chama baravavah v'item urmichiyah baravin kula meitu not just they all died in this one period, right? The original story says the Perak So now we're telling us which Perak between Passover and Shavuot, the, parik, the period of the Omer, we can call it. And we'll see a, a connection to the Omer itself later on, which is it's interesting and creative. Um, so they all died in this one period. And now we have an addition who says, and they all died a bad death, right? Um, Ma'hi, what's the bad death? Amar Abnachon Askara. Asgara, here it's translated as diphtheria. I actually do not know what Asgara is. I'm sure somebody has studied it in depth, um, meaning like it, it will be translated as, uh, as diphtheria here and by the Koran itself elsewhere, I believe it's translated as croup. It seems certainly like most of the commentators think that it's a, like a respiratory ailment, let's say. Um, and it's very bad. And it's the thing that the rabbis talk about in a lot of places. So, right, so they all have this terrible death. Right? And it all happens in this very short period of time. There's no mention here of Lagba Omer, right? Um, and I think that's that's one of the things that I, I mean, I, that much I knew, but I was like, oh, but I'm sure people are all gonna talk about like why, why Lagba Omer? But it turns out the Lagba Omer thing is actually, as we'll see, kind of a, well, as we won't see, but as I'll mention, Lagba Omer comes in as an important date in Sphere quite late. Um, so there's actually not as much on it as I expected, so. I learned something new about that at least. Here's the Kohelet Rabbah version of this story. Um, like Kohelet Rabbah, I'm guessing just based on this is a, is a relatively late midrash. Um, so Rabbi Kiva, here it's put in the voice of Rabbi Kiva. Right here, it's not 12,000 pairs, 24,000, 12,000 students tell me Dima, you right. I have these students from this place to this place. Right? and they all died Pesach Right? It's sort of integrating the multiple layers of argomar into one story. Rabbi Keep is talking, and it's not saying they all died at one time. Oh, what time was that, Pesach he's just saying they all died Pesach and in the end, I got seven more. And it's like, the list is slightly different, um, and we don't have to worry about that. But the, I just want to sort of point out, um, and he said, and then here he says to it's not people sort of dissecting the situation. It's Rabbi Akiva saying to his his later group of students, Marlahem, Harishonim, lo me to elamipnesha hita e tsara batora zeleze. Right. Above we said um lonahaguod zelezah zebaza, maybe they didn't they didn't treat each other with respect. Here it's they only died because they're Eyes were narrow, which is a rabbinic expression for a sort of for a lack of generosity in in all of its um, in all of its manifestations. Right, a lack of generosity of spirit, a mean spiritedness, stinginess. Um, it could be a sort of a competitive spirit, also. Right, um, the opposite could be like ayn as we have in Pirkei vote, Right, so they only died because they they had a sort of a narrowness towards their um, their fellows, a tamlo to you came, you guys don't be like that, meaning it's a little bit of like closing the barn door after the horror, like the first set of people, there were so many of them, they all had this one fatal flaw, so like, don't do that, of course, maybe you'll have some other fatal flaw, but don't do that, right, and they filled the whole land of Israel with Torah, um, there's something interesting to be said about the locations that keep being mentioned here, but I'm not sure what it is, so, um, Right, so here it's just, it's sort of a reworking of our Gemara into this fluid statement of Rabbi Akiva, right? Like I got it wrong the first time, but you guys get it right. Um, So I wanted to sort of take this in two directions, which I think we'll wrap, we'll we'll, uh, crisscross with each other. One is a little bit to talk about what is AskaRa and where else does it appear, right? The nature of this plague and where else does it appear in um, the Talmud and maybe rabbinic texts. And the other is to think a little bit about other elements of this story, right, other kind of, meaning there's not so many details, right, there's Pesach tatzeret there's oscara there's 12,000 or 24,000 students, the fact that they're in pairs, and there's that they either, they didn't, kavod or they had some sort of like interpersonal problem, and that's basically what we have, so I want to look at the oscara thing first, but we'll look at some of the other things in some sort of, um, comments of let's say the last like few hundred years that try and synthesize this into some sort of a message. Um, okay. And by the way, right again, there's no mention of Lagba Omer. Um, when we get to the first text that mentions Lagba Omer and what it entails, I'll do a little background on that. So here's a, a Gemara from the town Chuma. It also has a parallel in Brachot. Um, I don't know which of those is older actually, right? So it's, it's reading this Pasuk, um, Matzai, Sha, to Tovar, eight sorry. Um, Zomita, right? Um, in a time of death when thou mayest be found. As Basuk, I actually left out the citation here. I'm sorry, right? This is the time of death. There are nine thousand nine hundred. sorry, and three different kinds of death, which is like an interesting number. I'm sure it comes from somewhere. Um, we're going to see in a second, right? Sh'nei mar, Right? The word lamavet totzaot means and unto the Lord belongs issues of death. So you could, that's sort of what it means in context, right? But totsa'ot means how many ty- There's there's the numerical value of totsa'ot is 903, how many types of death are there? Um, now I'm trying to do that quickly in my head, that could be true, right? Um, right, the kashesh the worst of them all is askara. The tovash nishika, right? The They translate as the most painful, I would say, right, the worst, right? Glo- it's not actually specified how, why it's the worst, the tovash ebekulan nishika and the best is the kiss, right? Is anyone familiar with this idea of like the kiss of death? Right, like sort of the, um, a lot of, you know, like Moshe, Aaron, and maybe Miriam are said to have been, have died through Nishika, which is basically just sort of like God removes your, your life, your life forces associated with your breath, and God removes it in a painless way right and if askara is a respiratory ailment it's a very painful way to lose your breath um, so that's what, that seems to be what's sort of happening here um it doesn't tell us why you get askara in general it just tells us that it's really bad right so above when we say mitaraa askara it's sort of it's um, it's exaggerating or expanding on the negative thing right there was like this very exaggerated number of students and they had this very exaggerated death in a short period of time okay so here's a Ben Yehoyada. I actually, I will admit that I have neglected to find out this person's biography before I came here, although I intended to. Um, I just want, I want to look at the middle one. Um, I did this translation, which you are welcome to look at at your leisure. Um, maybe we'll come back to some of it at the beginning. Um, that, oh yeah, it, that sounds about right, with the Ben Yishhai who like, uh, is sort of his commentary on Agarita one of the few commentaries gonna go. I thank you. Thank you. Um, that's what, thank you, Chai, for, for suggesting that. Okay. He's interested in what makes it right? It doesn't seem like it's about the level of painfulness, but rather this. Anybody who is just, who loses their their power of speech at the time of their death, right? Because they can't sort of speak meaning to sort of set their affairs in order that's called a bad death which is sort of like a little bit it's something for us to think of like in our age of medicalized death that's almost like the default right that people usually are have several days where they can't communicate right or very often um, so that's something that's kind of like an interesting observation but i don't know what to say about it so what, what makes askara bad it's not that it's painful the fact that it um has to do with um the fact that it has to do with your mouth right it's not just that it's like the opposite of a kiss which is painless and and Oscar is painful but that right the kiss of death means that you sort of retain your full faculties until the end and this means even if your mental faculties are there you can't communicate right sort of their power of communication was taken away right which maybe, if we want to imagine it as sort of a midakeneged midah, like a, a tit for tat kind of punishment, is fits in with the idea that right their interpersonal abilities, pro- proclivities were lacking, and their sort of like their death sort of hits them in that plate in the place of connection with other people, meaning their their ability to communicate. It's possible. Um, right? And the last thing, the last thing he says, right, um, which it's always interesting when people do and don't ask this question, but he says, listen, like, right, um, excuse me, right, you say that 24,000 people died because they weren't nice to each other. Like, lots of people are not nice to each other. Usually, we don't think that that, like, involves, like, merits a torturous death, right? It's sort of a weird, like, they all died because, I I don't know, right? Like, it's it's a, strange it's On some level, it's a strange thing to say, especially, I think many of us reading a story like this are already kind of taking a step back and being like, this is an allegory with a message, right? But if you're trying to take it as like, this is what really happened, right? This thing happened and the correct response in real world history was this, then like, that's actually kind of intense, right? Like, you know, I I like expelled the entire ninth grade because some of them were chewing gum, like, no, right? So... So he says, What's that? It's not that the actual sin, my mother's laughing because she knows I wish I could. No, I I do not wish I could. Um, But, right, like, it's not that the actual activity is a problem, although maybe the actual activity is itself a problem, but the real problem is the follow ons from the lack of respect or sort of the narrowness of spirit that they brought to each other, which is that they desecrate God's name because, and we're going to see this later, because they're Torah scholars, right? That in some ways the standards for Torah scholars are higher. Okay. Um, this this Gemara about this is a this is the lead-in to a very famous story. So so far, right? We have our story. We have one sort of quasi allegorical interpretation that talks about right they they're being punished by the la- the loss of their verbal faculties because maybe they misuse them. I'm I'm sort of I'm leading you somewhere by saying that I know it's not directly in there, um, and that, that there's something about their status maybe that makes all even their minor infractions bad. Um, so here's a Gemara from Shabbat. This is a lead into a very famous Kamara, which some people may recognize by the very end. Um, And that's okay, we'll talk about it when we get there. I think it's probably not an accident. It's a good question, why do I think it's minor? So I don't think it's minor, but we usually don't think of it as a death penalty infraction, right? Maybe that's like a problem with our whole frame of mind Right, I'm responding to Viva's question in the chat. Thank you. Right, we like maybe we should think like, yeah, being mean to people is ju- is worse than most of the things we call death penalty infractions. But like, in the end of the day, we we usually don't say that, um, especially the way it's framed in the bavli of Lo Nahagu Kavod. It's like they they were. It's not even that they were a Naham tara, right? They were they were sort of actively narrow against each other, but that they were they weren't respectful. Yeah, that's pretty bad. But it's usually, I don't know. I think, right, I think maybe what you're getting at is that there's a collective, right? That if you look at this as a collective attribute, it's actually extremely harmful. But if you look at it as an individual attribute, I mean, it might be one of the things that you wish least for the people you love, but is it the kind of thing that we say like, yes, death penalty or like life in prison for being mean, right? Usually we look for like more concrete manifestations of it, Um, right? It's very interesting, right? That like pandemics are inherently communicable and communal, but in a sort of a negative way. And that like, um, yeah, thank you Viva. Um, okay, so here's our argument about Oscar, also, which is sort of bearing in mind that Oscar may have sort of like a symbolic quality because it has to do with your mouth and power of speech. Let's read this a little bit. So there's a that says, right, Four things have signs. Obviously there's many kinds of signs, but this is four that are collected in the context of what came before here. Siman la'aveira hadrokan, right? Hadrokan is like, I don't even know, right? It's some kind of a bad thing that could happen and it means that people are doing sins. Siman the sinachinam yirakon. A sin of gratuitous hatred is jaundice, right? Which um, is kind of interesting. First of all, all of these sins are related to each other, right, but gratuitous hatred is sort of, you know, if we think about jaundice as sort of, your, you know, a lack in yourself that like reflects the fact that you're sort of projecting something onto someone else, right? Um, right? When you find people who are poor, it's really probably because they're being punished for being arrogant, right? Um, I mean, like, listen, <laughs> I saw a face. It's fine to make a face. Um, I think in general, right, the whole project of like, describing like what sins must have occurred in order for people to be suffering is one that we are not always so familiar with and it's it's much or sort of comfortable with and it's much easier when we're talking about something where we're not even sure what it is right oscar that's like great because then it's like it becomes just this like f- f- like f- standard where we can talk about ideas um, so I, like i do, do want to like acknowledge that yeah like i maybe it's not comfortable to talk this way about real afflictions that real people suffer but um let's 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 think about oscar as like a literary device now, right? So simam lashon hara osgara, right? A sign of slander is osgara, meaning osgara is a thing that happens when people are l'shon hara. I mean, it could be in the Talmud. It doesn't just mean slander the way we think of l'shon hara, but in general, bad speech, right? Um, and so it, it seems to be keying into what the Beneshchai talks about, about, or Ben Yehoda, sorry, talks about, about, like, you know, verbal things coming from your ability to breathe, um and now we have actually, that's one view. And there's another view that's like a completely different approach to this, which is Oscar Balalam Actually, like Oscar comes because people don't separate tithes, which is in some ways like a totally, a much more technical view of it. Although you could think of tithes also as some sort of a communal obligation, right? That we have to each other, depending on who's getting them, right? That like when people are so sort of self centered or not willing to share, then that's when you have these problems, right? Rabbi Rabbi Yosi Omer Hara. Right? So here's a different branch. One person says it's because of tithes, one person says it's because of Lashon Hara. And Ravah, or maybe Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, Right, so yisacher there means shall be stopped, I guess, right? The mouths of those that speak lies shall be stopped. The theory is you shall be askerad, right? If you speak wrong, you're going to get askera. Um, Okay. And, right, and again, like hinting at this idea that askerad stops you from talking. Right, so it's sort of like a, a tit for tat kind of situation. Okay, Ibailihu, right? So they asked a question just in general, Ibailihu is going to always have two possible answers. Rabbi Yezreel Ryosi, al Hara Kamar, Oh, Dilma, Af al Hara Kamar. Right, so here's a question in the interpretation of Rabbi Yezreel Ryosi, and the second Brighta says, Oh, it's for Lashon Hara, right? Did he mean it's only for Lashon Hara, or did he mean it's also for Lashon Hara? Right, so when the rabbis sort of gathered in a vineyard in Yavna, right? This is the the reconstruction of the whole rabbinic edifice after the destruction of the temple and all the sort of like the the time of the Mishnah when they've sort of been almost defeated by the Romans and they're really in a bad place, right? And these are some of our heroes from the Rabbi Rabbi Akiva, second generation or second group of students. Um, Right. It was asked before them. Right? Why does this sort of plague begin in the intestines and end in the mouth? Rabbi Yehuda Bar-Elai, who was the head. So, um, who was called the, the first of all of speakers in all places, which we will talk about in a minute. Right, um, the, this, this sort of kinoy, um, nickname for a bar lie becomes the the hook for the story that's going to follow um, right it ends with your mouth because basically right the seed of thought is thought to be like in your kidneys so a disease that sort of begins from your intestines and ends in your mouth is parallels to the idea of sort of like the production of bad speech, which begins with your thinking, I'm pointing to my kidneys, but you can't see that, right? Begins there and sort of works its way up your body. Um, Okay. That's why, right? The disease sort of, it it parallels slander. Um, Similar, very similar ideas in the masachat sota, which I'm trying to learn it lately about sort of like the, whatever happens to the sota, the sort of woman who's suspected of adultery is, who. Has this sort of trial by ordeal situation, I mean, whatever that's like a big Pandora's box to open. So I'm going to close it. But um, right, like that, there the, the Mishnah talks about how right, like the physical, whatever physical undoing she goes through is supposed to parallel the things that she did wrong in some sort of very like like methodical way. So we have that here. Also, right, the Asgarah sort of methodically parallels the production of lashon hara of bad speech. Um, he says, actually, like, no, like, forget this Lush and Hara thing. It's because you use your mouth to eat bad things, right? To eat non-kosher foods. Um, really? You think it's, like, uh, Oscar is called by non-kosher food? Right? Meaning, like, so again, right, in some ways, what we're looking for with Oscar is something that everybody does, because everybody gets Oscar when it comes around. So it can't be that everybody eats treif but it could be that everybody eats food that wasn't properly tithed. Um, so maybe that's what it means. The Torah, it comes from the sin of dereliction of the study of Torah, right? So what this suggests, right, is that it wasn't only Lashon Hara, it's, specific, it's a bunch of things, and Lashon Hara is among them, right? And each of them, we can kind of explain what this does. Um, of these things, right, Lashon Hara feels the closest to what we've said about the students of Rabbi Akiva. Right, that they were not respectful to each other and they had ayin sarah against each other. They were kind of like a, you know, me, a mean-spirited. Um, it certainly seems to be the closest, but okay. So we have this whole thing. Well, how can you, it, it can't be that dereliction is a study of the Torah because women get asked around. They don't have to study Torah. Well, it must be that they cause other people to be bavat torah What about non-Jews? Well, they all, same, same answer. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of skip this. Um, right, and then basically they prove that it can't be it can't be the study of the lack of the study of Torah that brings Oscar out because even school children who do study Torah still suffer from Oscar. Okay, um, which is sort of like an interesting, like it's framed as like this legalistic kind of debate, like, oh, I have a case that proves that your rule can't be true. But it's also in some ways, a little bit of like a, a theodicy kind of thing, like, you know it's taking very seriously the project that we can we can ascribe causes to these forms of suffering, but then it's like like i'm looking around those don't seem to be the things Like people seem to be good right even good people are dying. Um, so now we're going to have an answer to this right why why does it look like, even though we're finding all these causes about why this te- most terrible of all deaths come to the world that it seems to catch up good people also, even people who study Torah, which in the Talmud Bavli is like the most important thing, right? We tend to think of that as just in general in Judaism, it seems some people argue, perhaps somewhat convincing that it's really like the Bavli's, the Bavli is this text that is the most pre- preoccupied with the idea that Talmud Torah is like really the only thing and everything else is kind of secondary, which is I think both empowering and also sometimes a little overwhelming and maybe not can have some negative consequences, so I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not trying to belittle it by saying it's just the Bible, but that is what it is. Um, so, Okay, we have a dispute as to who said it, right? If there are righteous people in the generation, they're the ones who suffer for the sins of the generation, right? <inaudible> and if there are no righteous people, then children suffer. And this is why you could have children who are innocent, right, sort of by definition, according to the Torah, right, they're not responsible for their actions, and they're learning Torah, which they don't even have to do, but they're doing it anyway, right, they don't have to do it, because they don't have to do anything, right, they're children, um, right, and that's how you could have them dying, because they're sort of like the, the vicarious stand-ins for the sins of the generation, right, um, again, right, not like ideas that all of us may love, but it does seem meaning, even in, in our sort of more mechanistic understanding of suffering, it is often true, right, that like innocent people suffer because of the choices that other people make. So, you know. Um, right, so we have this idea. Um, what is this Pasuk, right? Um, right? Um, Okay, the lambs are taken. It, he's reading it to, to support this idea that the children can be taken because the shepherds have done something wrong, um, right? So from this we can learn Shmamina af aloshon hara. We can learn here that when he said lashon hara, he didn't mean it only lashon hara; he meant also lashon hara. Um, so, okay. Um, to me, this whole journey has been interesting for all the things that we brought up, not because of like is it only lashon hara? Is it not only lashon hara? Because but because of right like. That, that argument structure of only Raleigh by who, this or that is actually like a way to bring in more text. I think, in some ways. Right? So we've brought in these things, we, we've brought in the idea, first of all, right, that it's a, it's a punishment for Lashon Haram. maybe it's a punishment for abandoning Torah. We might say maybe for doing Torah the wrong way. I'm sort of, I'm, I'm putting that on here. Um, and it's also something where the people who die are not necessarily the people who sinned, right? Okay, right? And now here comes our story. Um this is the beginning. I didn't include the rest, right? Remember, I said, right, we have this nickname for Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Um, why did they call him Roshim Adabrim Khomakom? He's the first the first of the speakers in every place. Well, here's a story, right? Does anyone know where this is going? Well you see it in front of you, right? So Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbios and Rabbi Shimon were sitting, and Yehuda, the son of converts, sat beside them. Rabbi Yehuda said, right? So Roshim means he he's the one who started this famous conversation. Right. And this conversation has many, many fallouts, as we'll talk about in a second. Right. So he said, ma, na, in, common in, Right. Like the, the Romans are actually not so bad. Right. What have the Romans ever done for us? But he was like, the Romans have done so much for us. Um, I feel like the older I get, like the less Monty Python references land, but that's okay. Um, the young people kids these days, but it's okay, right? So he says, the Romans are great, right? Look, or not they're great, but they do some nice stuff, right? You gotta hand it to the Romans, right? Um, they make these neck like markets, they make bridges, right? The trains run on time, they make bath houses. Um, Rabbi Yossi was like, I'm not getting involved, right? We just did nothing. right? Um, which you could call a fence for wisdom. Um, is like, yeah, those things seem nice to you, but really, they did them all for nefarious purposes, right? Um, they make um, they make markets so that they can have prostitutes there, and they make bathhouses so that they can, because they're, they're so hedonistic, and they make bridges so that they can collect taxes. The worst of all, right? I'm, joking, but right, like, like, basically, there's everything they do. Yeah, maybe it works for you. But it's really for it's not good. You should never say that, like, they're doing okay, right? They're doing bad stuff. Some of it has like positive collateral consequences, maybe. Um, Right? And then, of course, halachi would have been gay, right? So we have the three rabbis who are speaking, the first one who speaks, Right, is Rabbi Yehuda bar who's the Roshman of he's the first speaker, right? But then there's this fourth character, Yehuda Ben-Gayrim, and it's, it seems like not an accident that he's kind of like named in this liminal way, right? He's like Jewish, but he's not, his ancestors were Jewish, right? Maybe he has some, you know, split loyalties, it's sort of suggesting, um, right? Meaning like, it's, I'm not saying that because he's a descendant of converts, he has it, I'm saying that that's why the text names him as a descendant of converts because I think it's trying to sort of like suggest him about it. Um, so, so right, he goes and he tells. So, the story with we all, like, often remember, oh, he tells the Romans, but he doesn't tell the Romans, right? He tells, he tells someone else, like, oh, I just heard this really interesting conversation between three rabbis. I don't know if anyone here has ever been in this, in this like situation where, like, you know, I remember this actually, the Drusha Summer High School program. I was not there, but I heard about this conversation. There was like, I'm not going to name the rabbis, but it's three rabbis, all of whom are like well known in their own right now, who were like had this big argument about biblical criticism in like my second summer of summer high school program, and right, and it was just like we're all like, whoa, that was so cool, all right? And we talked about it afterwards, so like you, you would have been just like, I just heard this crazy conversation between three rabbis about the Roman Empire, right? And then, um, right, it kind of like uh, it gets back to the Romans, let's say, Amru, Yehuda she'elah right, it's interesting, His new name is Yehuda bar above, right, so he who praised the Romans, he should be raised up, Yossi she'shataki, right, Yossi, he didn't say anything, so, like, we can't punish him, but we also don't like him, because he should have said, yeah, you're right, they're awesome, so we're going to exile him, right, Shimon Shigina Yehereg, and Shimon, who denounced the government, should be killed, right, and what story does this lead into? I didn't put it on the sheet, so it's like a pop quiz. Or you can put it in the chat as you wish. All right, and this is our this is our log bomber connection. Yeah. Oh, you guys can't unmute yourself. Maybe is that true? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead if you want to say something. Oh, so right. it's just the being in a cave thing. Right, this leads to the story, Rabbi Shimon bar he has to run away from the Romans. So first he hides in the baby Midrash, but then he's afraid his wife is gonna to get tortured and give him up. And apparently he cares less about her being tortured than about her giving him up. So he runs away to the cave, right? And he has this whole like experience where he lives for seven years on this like divine provision food. Um, I'm telling the story very quickly. I assume many of us have heard it. If you haven't, I encourage you to read it another time, but um, right, you can watch videos about it, right? So he lives in the cave. This is when, you know, according to the, the mystical purists, right? Maybe he's writing the Zohar then, or he's experiencing the Zohar or whatever you want to say with his son. They bury them. They don't have even clothes. They're like buried up to the up to their necks in sand to preserve their clothing only for davening, right? They have these like God plants a tree for them. And eventually it's time to come out. Um, they come out and what happens? And this is important right? They, they zap people with their eyes because they're so just, they've been living in this, such an ethereal existence that they're so distressed to see people carrying on with ordinary life as if everything is okay, right? Like ordinary life is a waste of time and really you should all be studying Torah all the time. What's wrong with you? Um, so then God sort of says, hey, go back to the cave. I didn't take you out to destroy the world. And then they learn some lessons, but exactly the nature of their lessons is an interesting question for another time, um, right? So Right, so this, this Oscar thing, this whole Oscar sugya, interestingly, leads in, right, and like Oscar, which maybe is a sign of speaking poorly, or sort of, or not learning Torah, leads into the story of Rabbi Shem bar Yuchai, who seems like he does one of those things, but not the other, right? He's very good on learning Torah. That's like all he does. Right. He's not like not doing Bitul Torah. He's not so awesome. I don't know about Lashon Hara, like speaking ill of people. Well, he speaks ill of the Romans, but I think the rabbi, the Gemara probably thinks that's fine. Um, But he's, he's not so good at generosity of spirit as directed towards other Jews. Right. Like, In fact, at the end, he meets Yehudah Ben-Gerim, right? So at the beginning, he's like zapping people. I I mean this literally, like people burn when he looks at them, right? At the beginning, he's like zapping people indiscriminately. And at the end, he only zaps Yehudah ben Garam, who was the cause of his problems, even though it seems like not totally intentionally, right? Um, So Yehudah ben Garam has done like actual Ashon Hara, and it seems like like, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is not outside of the realm of these interpersonal problems, to say the least, right? Um, I guess this is the time to mention, right, Rebbe is also the person associated with the date of Lachba Omer, which is the end of the plague, right? And that seems like, kind of like a weird coincidence, right? That's the, your side of Rebbe Marichai, supposedly, and it's also, right, the end of the plague. Um, how those things came about is like an interesting, I think, historical thing. I just learned it yesterday, um, if you read this, um, Printing Mistake and Mysterious Origins link from the Sperm blog, um, you can learn, which is where I found this text, but also there are many other things there. You can learn that apparently this the association of Rabbi Shimon Bar death with Lagba Omer seems to come from a printing error of the word Samach for Shemate, um, for like the day of his his sort of like joy to the day of his death, like the, day, the death thing is very, very late in terms of like this being associated with his death, which is maybe why um, it takes, you know, there's not as much about it as you might expect. Um, so an interesting question, is Lagba like, were the end of the plague, we pause in it. Big machloket, right? Um, I think it depends who you ask, but people will say, right? Maybe Lagba Omer is like the end of, I forget who I saw this, maybe the Mar I don't remember. He says, but Lagba Omer is like the end of the plague, the end of new people getting sick, but there's still the, uh, the people who were already sick, and everybody stops dying in like Omer, and then the people who are already sick continue to die afterwards. Um, which is like actually an interesting comparison to our moment where like, People, right, you're, you're not over a plague just because no or fewer people are getting sick, but it feels different than before when like everybody is, like every day there's more people getting sick, right? Um, so, okay, um, so that's sort of like our, our, our broad vision. We have this pretty terse story of Ribi Akiva and his students, and they, you know, they have this interpersonal problem, which first of all, right, because they're Torah scholars, causes it's interesting, right? Like, actually, what the Ben Yahoriada says about, right, because they're Torah scholars, that's what sort of makes their sin even worse. It's kind of the opposite from what the Gemara seems to be assuming, which is like Torah scholars, even though they're not so bad, they take the blame, but really they're carrying the blame for everyone else. It seems like it, uh, it seems to me like the first one is actually like more what the Gemara is saying, right? Like, they were whatever whatever was bad about them, it's especially bad when it's done by Torah scholars. It has something to do with maybe the Shonhara and with their way of relating to each other. Okay. Um, So I just wanted to, I wanted to read sort of like two quasi-allegorical understanding of this, that that sort of layer in the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai piece. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is one of like the good, right? The the second crop, the better students of Rabbi Akiva, right? He's one of them. Um, Has he in fact taken to heart this lesson of being, you know, a kinder, gentler student of Rabbi Akiva, right? Is he in fact nice to people? Not so clear right, I, maybe I should now, now that I'm saying it, maybe I should have included the whole story, but okay, right, he, he's definitely has an edge to him, his son even more so, but even Rabbi Shimon right, he has a real edge to him, he sort of sees people doing ordinary things like planting crops, and he's like, what's wrong with you, why are you wasting your time when you could be learning Torah, right, um, you know, not, not a particularly generous spirit, let's say, um, so here we're going to read this Mark Cohen, which I think is very interesting, I, I feel like this is from the 19th century, but I'm not sure. Um, so Nireh, so he's, he starts with this sort of, um, question, which is, right, the Gemara says that the students of Rabbi Kiva died from Pesach to Atzeret, right, from Pesach to Shavuot, atzeret, Shavuot is always called Atzeret in the Talmud, right, um, that's one of my favorite high school quiz things, right, like, what holiday is Atzeret, because, like, you, they always guess everything but Shavuot, so, okay, um, everybody thinks it's Shri Atzeret, whatever, anyways, because circus is called Chag. So like, if you have a Mishnah that says Chag, Pesach, and Etzeret, nobody ever says Etzeret to Shavuot. Anyways, unless they pay attention in class, then they know. That's why it's a good thing to ask. So, um, and then they can read any Mishnah they want. So that was a a little aside. Okay, so, right. He says, the Mishnah just said, or not the Mishnah, the Gemara just says from Pesach to Etzeret, right? But our mourning practices that that we say are connected to this this sort of period of dying don't begin on the first day of Pesach. They begin on the second day of Pesach with Lagba Omer. Why is that? Okay? Um, So he connects it to this story. So this I think is like a super creative connection. It's very interesting. I don't know if others make this connection. I I only saw it. Um, Right, so that's the question as I underlined it there. He says, oh, this is connected to the story from Menachos, which I brought below. So I'm gonna skip there for a second. Um, here we go. Okay, so the mission of teachers. This is if you want to see the original, which I, I think there might be some typos in here. I copied it from. I was just shaking. Did you guys see me? Am I okay? Okay, I just I, I was like flush, flush, flush. Um, so okay, if you want to see the original, you can see it here. I think that I think that the typing is basically okay. So here's the story from Anochod, and then we'll go back to see how he ties it in, and we'll see some elements that feel related. Okay, so the Mishnah is talking about uh, korban mincha um, that's brought from the new crop before the sacrifice of the Omer, right? the The period of the Omer in the Bible is the period from one grain offering to another. The grain offering of the Omer that's brought on the sort of the second day of Pesach to the offering of the shtehalechem that's brought on Shavuot. Um, so, in general, right? There is a halacha, which is may or may not exist in contemporary times, depending on who you ask, of chadash, right? People are not allowed to eat, um, or are allowed to eat grain from the new crop after the, the bringing of Omer and Pesach, um, but apparently sacrifices are not, right? Sacrifices are supposed to come after the shalech, and that's what it sounds like from this Mishnah. I did not investigate so fully, so if I'm mistaken, I apologize, and I'm very happy to be corrected. So the Mishnah said, right, if you bring the sacrifice after the Omer, but before for the two loaves, it's fine. Rabbi Tarfon said, right, so here's Rabbi Tarfon in the Gemara asking the following question. Um, the, the technicalities in this are not so relevant to us, right? right. Why should it be different, right? If shteya is the deadline, then who cares if you made like a different deadline, right? Amar fanav Yehuda ben Nechaymi, and Yehuda ben said, he's like oh no no there is a difference between these two deadlines because one of the deadlines has consequences for somebody it doesn't have consequences for the temple offerings, necessarily but it has consequences for regular people who can now eat from the new crop so that's why like you know after the fact but it works also in the temple okay um Shataktar Rabbi Rabitarphone was silent Panav Rabbi Yehuda ben so they translated Rabbi Yehuda Ben Nechemia's face brightened. I translated below as yellow just because I was like, well, I'll be the most literal possible since I'm not sure exactly what it means. But it's a bad thing, whatever it is, right? Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Tarfon didn't say anything, right? Rabbi Yehuda Ben Nechemia thought he's like doing a great job in answering this question. And then Rabbi Tarfon kind of gave him like the look of death. And then he was like, oh, I have done something wrong. Amarla Rabbi Akiva, right? Rabbi Akiva says, Yehuda Tzahavu Panacha Shei Shafta et right? Your face has sort of changed like this. You're embarrassed, basically, because you answered back to Somebody older than you, meaning Rebbe Tarfon. I don't know if it's Rabbi Tarfon was asking an open-minded question, but you weren't supposed to answer him with such with a with a tone of authority, or whether maybe he was sort of asking a rhetorical question and he was going to answer it, but you interrupted him. It's not clear to me which of those it is. But in any case, you would have been, sorry, you'd have been a seems to have spoken out of turn, right? And because he spoke out of turn, he says to him, I will be surprised if you last long. Okay, which is pretty intense. Um, I'm um, Rabbi Huda, bar Eli, and Rabbi Huda Bar Eli, right? Our guy from above, the Rosh Medrash Machol right? Oto haPerek, Pesachia. That was Prosa Pesach was like 15 days before Passover. Um Pras is like half a month, right? So that was like in the in the pre-Passover period that they were studying the laws of the Omer, which makes sense, right? You sort of learn things as they're coming up in the calendar. Um, and when I came back for Shavuot, sheal diacharev when I was like, hey, where's Yehuda Ben I haven't seen him around. They said he passed away and left this world, right? So in fact, Rabbi Akiva's prediction, as it were, comes true, right? That, um, that you know, Rabbi Yehuda Ben Nechemy, because he um, spoke out of turn, let's say he ends up dead. Um, okay, so what connections do we have here to our situation? I mean, we have a bunch of pieces that overlap. We have overlapping people, right? We have well, people can say or maybe put it in the chat if you want, um, right? Rabbi Akiva is an obvious connection, but there could be a little more. I just looked at the time, so I'm just going to say, um, right? We have Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva having a student his student who does something wrong, let's say like big adult, he does something wrong, maybe he speaks out of turn, right? There's something wrong with his interpersonal such like sort of sensitivities um, and the student dies as a result, right? That, that's sort of like the the overall, that maybe those are the connections and uh, some of our people are connected also, right? As I mentioned, right, Rabbi Yudabari Lai, who's sort of like the the the, the, the survivor who lives to tell the tale, right? Similar to an argument where he's one of the five who sort of um, I think right, who who live who's the second generation of Chabad. So let's go back to the Mahariko, right? So he, he retells this story, um, and right. So his question is, why do does the mourning period start with the second day with the Omer as opposed to with Pesach when the Gemara says from Pesach to Shavuot? Um, so then he retells. The, um, the story from Menachon, and then he says, It was 15 days before Passover. I'm gonna read the English because I wrote it and yeah. Um, and they were discussing the matters of the Omer, right? Cause that's normal. And because Yehuda Benachonia's face was yellowed because he answered back to Rabbi Tarfon. About this Rabbi Kiva was harsh. The word he, I, I, trans, I use harsh to translate kapad, right? He was sort of exacting. Kapdan is like somebody who's kind of um, like overly exacting, right? Let's say he's like a stickler. I don't know what you want to say about it, right? So Rabbi Akiva was sort of took him to task for this, right? About his his behavior during the studying of the laws of the Omer. And he said, right? It turns out that it, it's logical to say that when the time of the actual implementation of the Omer arrived, that's when the sort of like, um, basically like the bad feels that Rabbi Akiva had unleashed into the world surrounding um, Rabbi Yehuda ben Nachemiah, brought their study of the Omer sort of came back to rest during the time of the actual Omer right they sort of like like Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Akiva's words where he says you're not going to last long sort of come back to actually be put into place at the time of when sort of like the the theoretical halachic discussion becomes practical just kind of like an interesting idea that like you know like I mean the, the whole idea of the way what you're talking about sort of has a, a time and a place that it is attached to right um it's interesting right kevan de carde shivor ben chum tom right okay um and since kevan de pidad rabbi akiva haya amada tomi do you would have in the khamiya right what how does he identify his sin he hitkabed rabbi hudben khamiya right the the part the student who spoke out of turn hitkabed he sort of self aggrandized Right? And he, you can see he's, he's starting to mix the language of the two sukkhas, right? He spoke out of turn and he didn't treat him properly, right? The phrase, lo nahag kavod, comes from Argamar and Yavamot, right? The students didn't teach his properly, his properly, treat each other properly. Right? And so, like, the, the sort of Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva's issue with him kind of comes to fruition during the time of the laws that they were studying. Um, Right. Rabbi Akiva Gam Right. sort of his his sort of um his taking issue with one student who was disrespectful, which therefore sort of like happened at this particular calendar time, spread to everybody. But right? this seems related to me to the rabbinic idea of that like once once you release the destroyer into the world. Right? It just it's gonna kill everybody. It comes up in the you know the ten plays. Why do the Jews have to put this thing on their their house? Can't God just say, like, know where they are, right? The answer is that like destruction ha- has a larger power than you imagine, right? It doesn't just take the people who deserve it, right? It could kind of take a, a wider or the initial the people who are initially the, the the ones who bring it upon the world, let's say it, it, it expands to a wider circle. Um so right, so like basically this this story of Rabbi Huda bin Kanya. Um, think so much, right? Um, becomes like the the type story of Rabbi Akiva sort of almost brings it down upon his own students. He says like, you know what? You guys are actually not doing what you're supposed to do, right? You guys like, you know, erase, start again. Um, so I think that's like, it's kind of interesting, right? And then he's gonna connect it to Rashbi, right? was one of the students and he was very harsh right he was a big kapdan. right he was not a warm and cuddly person he was mean to people especially when he came out of the cave right um at least the first time so he says right you might have thought right you might have thought oh Rabbi Shimon since we know that his death happens during this period albeit many years later we might have thought he's also being kind of like you know this, this I don't want to call it a curse, but this sort of like utterance of Rabbi Akiva is catching up with him too, right? So you might have thought that that's catching up with him too, so it goes out of its way. The reason we celebrate the Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai on Lagba like Omer is to say like, no, 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 Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, right? He was not included in this bad death of the students of Rabbi Akiva during this time that's sort of connected to the time of the Omer because it happens to be what was being studied or whatever, right? He was different. Lo hai ta, um, right? Mikomakom, lo hai Ta all right. He was not interested in self-aggrandizing at the sake of someone else, right? God forbid. No, that's not possible. He was like a total tzaddik, right? But it doesn't mean that he was, he was like a, a, a fluffy teddy bear, right? He was, he was still a very harsh person. But what was his harshness about? Um, right. What was his harshness about? His harshness was all for the the glory of God, right? So there's some sense here, right, that like it's the um, the inter- it's not the mida itself of being unkind, for example, that's the problem. It's the sort of personal motivations for it, right? The selfish motivations or the self-aggrandizing motivations that they that he's sort of calling out among the students of Rabbi Um I, I agree with Viva, right, that it's not. Um, these aren't really why do the righteous suffer texts right they're much more interested in telling you that the people weren't really righteous so it's okay or not okay but like you know don't worry right the the justice of the universe is not upset because the people were not really righteous right um and how do we feel about that i don't know but i think i think that that's a good observation right that like um right the in some ways, this is a weird plague. And the plagues we're gonna look at, so I guess I'll just say briefly, right? The plagues we're gonna look at, hopefully the next two weeks with sham, right? Talking about the plagues in the Bible and how what we can make of them. They're also things where like the people did a bad thing. And it's sort of like the plague is in some sense justice, but it just feels like it feels like it's going too far, but it comes down for a real reason, at least in sort of the, the mind of the text itself. So um, this was just one example. I guess I'm not gonna get to the second one, but I, I encourage you to read this nice uh, thing from Ariel Mays. Um, you can follow the link if you want to, like, a larger thing about Logba Omer Is sort of um, Lagba Omer happens to be in the Kabbalistic understanding of the um, of the of the of the days of spirits. Hod It's like a, It's the fifth day of the fifth week. Um, so, like, he he sort of he he quotes a uh Rebbe who sort of talks about that. Um, that it, basically it's about. It's a day for Mm -hmm. emphasizing humility. And like, whether this is the actual picture of Rashbi or not, right? The idea that the Rashbi that we sort of valorize is the person whose humility and selflessness, even though he comes off as very severe or intense, right? But it's not for his own sake. And that's something that comes up in other rabbinic stories also, right? That like, so if you wanna, if if I'm gonna answer my question a little bit, I said, I'm not really gonna answer the question what stops the plague, but in some ways, right? What's the antidote to the plague? What's the thing that stops that maybe, you know, even if it's a mistake that it wasn't really the death of rashmi but like you know in in this whole mythology what's the thing what's the antidote the antidote is some level of self-effacement or humility right the thing that brings it on is a sort of like inability to, to get along with others right which which comes from a level of maybe thinking too much of yourself right and thinking less of yourself allows you to live with other people. Not like thinking less of yourself, sort of putting yourself down, but thinking the appropriate amount less of yourself that like God is more important than me and other human beings are not less important than me. That's what allows sort of people to live without like a communicable disease ravaging through them. Um, I mean, I, I again, I'm not trying to offer this as like an actual um, ed- like public health etiology of disease, which is... <laughs> that's not clear, but I think that sort of like the, the way they're conceptualizing it, I think is kind of interesting. And also just to, one interesting thing about this, which we'll see a little bit in the in the biblical text also, is how like an original story of a plague, which is like, they did this bad thing, this thing happened to them, right? And we then we rebuilt is, can um, can lead to sort of layers of trying to understand it and unpack it in slightly different ways. That are that are picking up on elements that were there, but maybe fleshing them out in other ways. Um, it's 902. So thank you so much for coming and I hope to see many of you next
0: week. All right, wow. So thank you to Ms. Gedweiser for a fabulous class. And thank you to everyone who joined us today on Zoom, on Drisha Live and on Facebook. We truly appreciate having you as part of Drisha's learning community. Our spring programming will continue tomorrow. And if you're interested in joining ongoing or we have one more new class coming up, you can learn about it at drisha.org slash classes. So thank you again, everyone, and have a wonderful, wonderful